Dear Lord, this, thank you so much that we can gather together physically and virtually. I know like this uh, talk has actually been pre-planned, I've written it out, but please let be able to reach people where they are and give people what they need, not what I need, dear Lord. In your name, amen. Okay, so my name is Harvey Hahn. I just want to say that Brian Schwartz and I just went through a four-year, $5 million wrongful death lawsuit. Hopefully that's going to get your guys' attention. Also, I want to say, happy Sabbath. <laughs> so, Brian already gave the background that we we're actually at an Amen conference, so I'm going to go past that and go to my first slide here. Okay, so 2020, it's been kind of an interesting year. I don't know how many people are crying out there or laughing, but a lot of crazy stuff has gone on. Now, we've all struggled through this, We've all been hurt through this. We've all suffered. And a lot of times it's really hard to kind of see why we've gone through all this stuff. But this talk is really about building faith and it's about being able to look behind in retrospect, in hindsight, and seeing in 2020 why God put us through all these different things here. All right. Now, this is kind of a sensitive topic, um, but this is a totally HIPAA-compliant talk. That's actually a joke for the medical people in the audience. All right. I'm not going to discuss any particulars of the case, but I could. Since we were sued, everything is in the public record, but this really isn't an educational um, talk about medical legal issues. This is a talk about how this built my faith. Amen. All right. This verse has really helped me through this whole process here. Lord, you're my God. I'll exalt you and praise your name. For in your perfect faithfulness, not ours, you have done wonderful things planned long ago. When you see this talk, you're going to see that God had pre-planned things years in advance. And what I want everyone to kind of start looking at their own life is when you start looking back and you start seeing God's hands in things, you realize God's hands in everything in our lives. It's, it's really incredible. All right. Now, this next slide is really important. So Brian and I are both cardiologists, and we deal with death all the time. Cardiovascular disease is the number one cause of death in the United States. And it's actually really retiring. Um, does anyone know what picture this is, what painting? Th this is Johnny Made Whole by Nathan Green. And I have this in my office. And th the reason I love it is because it's maybe hard to see, but Johnny's a kid getting out of a wheelchair in heaven. In heaven, there's going to be no more tears, no more death, no more crying. Basically, it's going to be awesome when we're all out of business, especially you dentists. I want you guys out of business. <laughs> Caused a lot of pain, but you're still my friends. Okay. Now, the next worst thing to having a patient die is being sued. If you look at the data, basically for every 20 years of practice, there's probably one lawsuit. If you're a surgeon or a proceduralist, it's about one in every 10 years. So mathematically, Brian and I were probably at the time to get sued here. All right. Now, the one thing that doctors do is we can't be perfect. We kind of risk assess, we understand probabilities, we try to do the best possible care based on the changing evidence, kind of local expertise, and also what the patient wants. That's a big factor in what we do here. Um, but it's actually a huge responsibility to kind of take that upon ourselves to try to care for other people's health and lives. Now in this case, I was taking care of a high-profile executive at Kettering and I was asked to assess the patient's perioperative risk for upcoming surgery. Um, now, Brian got dragged into this because they asked me to do an angiogram on him just in case he needed a stent. 
Um, as the trial kept going on, Brian told me, I'm not going to do you any more favors, man. All right. But he, saw, he, he hung with me. Now, it's, it's impossible to, to predict the future. Just think about 2020. What did we think we are going to be doing a year ago? We had all these plans to travel, go places, do stuff, have a real amen meeting, and it's not happening. We cannot predict the future. Same thing, doctors have a hard time predicting, predicting the future. What we do best is say, this is the probability, this is your risk, and then talk to the patients and let them know what, uh, what those risks are. Now, unfortunately, the patient died after a series of complications in the operating room and then passed away. As Brian and I mentioned, we're down at the Health Head Amen meeting when this happened. Um, as soon as my partner called me that morning, I, I called the, uh, the wife, said how sorry I was, how shocked I was. We had a good conversation. Um, but the, the strange thing was, you know, like I said, we weren't in the hospital. We weren't even in the city. We weren't even in the state. We were gone to the meeting. But while we were gone, I think because he was such a high-profile um, patient, people started kind of running for cover, and then the blame machine had already begun. And since Brian and I were not in town, it kind of rolled down to our level here. Now, does anyone, has anyone heard of something called Project Candor? Okay, I know Lindy's heard about it. Okay, so it's, it's actually a good program, but there's multiple parts of it. One is how to teach the medical staff to give bad news to the patient and family, but a smaller subset of that is there's a no-fault payment that's often given to the family to help the family out, and part of the idea is to prevent future lawsuits. So administration talked to Brian and I and said, would you guys be willing to agree to give a no-fault payment to help the family out? And Brian and I said, yeah, because we want to help the family. I, I know the kid in the family, so we want to support those, uh, those people. Now, in retrospect, that was probably a mistake. When we told this to our lawyer, what Project Candor was, we had a couple responses. The first one was, what? So our lawyer goes, that's crazy, because you're almost admitting guilt. You're asking them to sue you. So he goes, that's a crazy idea. Our, we, we told this to our other lawyer, and he was like, that's about the dumbest idea I've ever heard. And, and then both these guys are lawyers. They both admitted they're kind of jaded, but they thought that wasn't a good idea. Now, what was really interesting about this is there is an anesthesiologist, the surgeon that did the case, and two cardiologists. The only people that were involved in the candor part of this settlement was Brian and I. The other thing is, even before we were asked to weigh in on this candor part, they had already sent the case out for external review, which is pretty common. But the only review they sent it out for was for cardiac review. So there was no surgical review, no anesthesiology review. It was just cardiac review. Basically, most people thought that there was a problem with the cardiology part of this case from the get-go. So in this slide, you kind of see that um, kind of in life, a lot of times things are kind of stacking up on you. Oh, there's another thing I forgot to mention. We're not sure of this, but we're pretty sure someone in administration was leaking details of the case back to the family. So we were being totally compromised from the word go. In fact, one of their expert witnesses was one of the external case reviewers that Kettering used. So that cardiologist had access to all internal documents, all internal communication, knew everything about the case. So we thought that we're really behind the, the April on here. Now, the, the crazy thing here is that you, you kind of feel like in this slide that you're just holding up the world. But what you have to realize here is that God can do more in his one little finger than we can do with all of our efforts. God's totally in control. The, the one thing we need to do is stop working on things so hard and just get down on our knees and start praying. That would save a whole bunch of more time. 
For another example, this is me at Hawking Hills, um, basically trying to hope the world. What we have to remember is God made the whole world. All right? It's not our job to hold this like Atlas or anything else. We just need to go, you know, engage God as soon as possible. Now, the lawsuit had two main points. The first one was that the pre-op evaluation was poorly done. Basically, I grossly underestimated the risk of the procedure, and two, I did not communicate the risks or options to the family. The second thing is that both Brian and I had really underread the angiogram. He had worse disease, a worse heart, and we should have had this person undergo either a stenting, more likely though, a coronary artery bypass grafting surgery. All right. The other part of the case was the prosecution lawyer was kind of spinning it such that anesthesia, surgery, everyone thought that we had made the big mistake here. Okay, so this is just part of life. Now, everyone thinks life should be this way. As you get older, life gets better. Then we realize this is really how life goes, up and downs. But really, life is more like this. It's totally discombobulated. Now, the one cool thing is when we finally go to heaven and meet Jesus, it's going to look more like this. Watch this. Have you guys seen 3D art? It's a physical art that it only makes sense from one position. Right? This is our lives. When we finally are able to look in hindsight in heaven and look back and God points out, I did this, I did that, I did this, and this is why you came out to here, it is going to be an awesome realization here. So let, let me read this quote. It's, it's great. All the perplexities of life's experience will then be made plain. Where to us have appeared only confusion, disappointment, broken purposes, thwarted plans, we will see a grand, overruling, victorious purpose, a divine harmony. Our lives are not just a horrible, random mess. There's actually a purpose, a direction for our lives. I think that's an awesome thing to look at. All right. Now, the reason this case... The reason this case took four years, it was delayed twice. Um, and actually, we'll see that it was, it was actually a good reason that it was delayed twice. It really helped us out here. Now, Brian and I thought we had done the right thing, but that it was just kind of a bad outcome. Only afterwards did I kind of realize that this was a really chronic level stressor and really had a big impact on me, my wife, and my kids. I don't know how many people have been sued, but I, I, this is probably not a good term to use, but it, it sucks. It's horrible. All right. All right. Now, leading up to the case was also a really interesting experience. So one time, Brian was at a conference in the hospital, and he goes, I got to leave early. And like, where, where are you going? And he goes, I got to see my lawyer. And they go, why are you seeing your lawyer? And he's like, I'm getting sued. And instead of everyone kind of backing away and saying, oh, sorry, Brian, they're like, hey, when I got sued. And so everyone was, basically, everyone in the room got sued. And they're all telling Brian, this is what happened to me. And they're totally supportive of Brian. It was awesome. I was in clinic. And patients started asking me, where are you going on your vacation next week, Dr. Han? And I'm like, I'm going to court. I'm not going on vacation. And then I realized that my front office had rescheduled a bunch of patients, moved them forward so they could block off the two weeks I was going to be in court. And I go, I don't want to lie to my patients. So I just started telling them, my front office staff is trying to protect me. I'm not going on vacation. I'm going to court because I'm in a lawsuit. Um, I don't even know why I did that, because that's really that's probably the smartest move. But the great thing is, 100% of my patients, no one went like, <gasps> and, and ran out of the room. Everyone was like, Dr. Han, we're so sorry. And a bunch of them said, we're going to pray for you, Dr. Han. No one left the room saying, i got to find a new doctor. I don't trust this guy. Um, it, it was a really reaffirming to, to really see that and feel that. 
Now, there's a couple of lessons for us. One is that as a, as a population, as a group, as a family, we need to be kind of real, honest, and vulnerable with each other. A, a lot of times in church, we are trying to put on this persona that we are perfect and we haven't sinned in the last three years. And that's really off-putting to other people. And it, and it doesn't help other people. We all made mistakes. We need to kind of embrace our fellow church members, family members, friends, and, and not push them down when they're down, but kind of lift them up at the same time. Now, there is more to this trial than just Brian and I. There was two big things that were really on display. Um, before this case, in my mind, I thought, I'm probably never going to sue anyone, no matter what happens. After this case, I'm sure of it. When you have one SDA church member suing two other SDA church members, that is a horrible look for our church. I don't even know what our lawyers, the jury, the judge, what did they think of us? All right? Um, actually, at the, at the end of day one of the case, one of our lawyers named Jerry, he turned to me and said, the case is already at the point where the jury has to decide who's lying. So there's only three Seventh-day Adventist Christians in the trial, and the jury's got to decide which of the one or two are lying. All right, it got to that point already so early in the case. So everyone knows Paul's recommendation on this, but I'm just going to go through this pretty quickly. If any of you has a dispute with another do you dare take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before God's people? For time, I'm going to skip down to the bottom. But instead, one brother takes another to court, and this in front of unbelievers. The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you've been totally defeated already. Why not rather be wrong? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do it to your own brothers and sisters. 1 Corinthians 6, 1-11. It's a really bad look. But also, it's not just about suing each other. In the church, how do we treat each other on social media? We're in the middle of an election. How do we treat each other publicly about if we vote for a different candidate? How can we argue about things? And I, know, I don't want to start an argument, but um, women's wear nation, jewelry, eating out on Sabbath. There's a million things that we actually fight about. The, the question I want to ask everyone, are these the conversations that we want to have? Is this what we want to talk about? Is this what I share with the world? No, we want to share Jesus. When we waste our time arguing about this kind of garbage, we are totally distracting from the most important thing we're supposed to do. And I'm guilty of it too. I do it all the time. It's very frustrating to see. The other question I want to ask is, do you guys consider yourselves an ambassador for heaven here on earth? All right, we're trying to reflect God. We're trying to get people to want to come visit heaven. All right, if we act like this, who wants to join this church family? Who wants to marry into that kind of family? You don't want to be into a bickering kind of uh, fight there. The other really big thing, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on here, I will spend a lot of time on, is God's way versus the world's way. It is amazing the contrast that I could see during this court case about how different Christians act and behave and think and the way the world thinks. And to be honest, even in this world, the Christian way is more successful. And we'll talk about that. Now, our prosecuting lawyer was a DK. Does anyone know what a DK is? Dr. Killer. All right, he did one thing, medical malpractice litigation, and he was very good at it. All right. He dressed really well. So he had really nice shoes. I, I, I watch him every day. So really nice clothes, really nice suit. He had working buttonholes on his cuff sleeve, custom-made suits. Um, really great, deep voice. I mean, he could like read you a bedtime story, put you to sleep if you wanted to. 
Um, he had a worker, and he had, this, he had something better than PowerPoint. I don't even know what the program is. But he had a really cool electronic program that he'd use. All right? Now, to understand what this guy was like, he had a couple pre-trial motions. One was, Han, me, cannot mention that his first kid has autism because the jury may feel sympathetic to him. You can't mention it. Like that has any relevance in the case. The second thing is our lawyers, we had two of them, and Brian and I cannot mention that we do any mission work or free medical work because he doesn't want us to look good in front of the jury. Also, he was going for punitive damages, which I'll talk about later. All right. Now, this is a picture of our lawyers. Um, obviously, that's Brian and I on the sides there. Um, on the far, on your guys' left, that's Jerry. And the, in the middle, taller guy, that's John. Great guys, love these guys. But I'll, I'll be honest, compared to kind of the prosecuting attorney, our guys were not as sophisticated looking, didn't dress as nice, definitely didn't have the, the super sweet voice. Um, actually, it was funny, John said, I'm so glad my partner Jerry is coming down to try the case with me. When I first saw Jerry, my confidence level actually dropped. <laughs> I was like, we're relying on this guy. We're going to lose. I, I, I felt really scared. All right. But, but the cool thing is, this is a total contrast from the world and from God's view. Now, the funny thing is, we started calling Jerry Matlock. I don't know if you guys watch the TV show, but Matlock is kind of the country lawyer, unassuming, and just destroys the opposition. Um, and Jerry did that all the time. Okay. Now, we moved on to jury selection. And there's a really a couple of fascinating things. Um, one thing was the jury, there's a, a whole bunch of people that are called in for jury duty. Then both lawyers ask questions, and you can eliminate a bunch of um, potential jurors. The overall feeling in the jury was um, that they really hated rich people. They hated lawyers. They hated doctors. Our lawyer got Brian and I seats so we could sit down. And then one juror, one potential juror goes, hey, man, you guys need special treatment. Your lawyer got you chairs. It's like he didn't want us to sit down. It was, it was very interesting. Now, the good thing about this is they hated rich people, they hated doctors, but thank goodness they hated lawyers more. All right. And so they were asking questions like, hey, how much are you going to make on this case? And the prosecuting lawyer goes, I can't tell you, which is actually a lie our, our lawyers told us. Okay. Now, due to all the delays, remember this case was delayed twice. So in retrospect, our lawyers and the prosecuting lawyer these were selected four years ago, and now we're coming to the trial. So there's no way you can understand or plan for this kind of difference or, or contrast in them. Now, there's a couple of interesting developments during the prosecution's um, case. The first is I, I mentioned at the beginning that there is an expert witness um, that they, I mean, I didn't mention this, but during the Candor project, when the cases were sent to re be reviewed, one of the expert witnesses, and this is why we think the case details were leaked, the prosecuting attorney found out who one of the reviewing cardiologists was and got him to be one of their expert witnesses. So we have a guy that has all the backdoor channels, information about the case. And so we were thinking, oh man, this is, he's going to know every single word to use to make us look bad because he actually knew all the internal communications and stuff about this. Now the great thing is when he came to, the, to testify, he recognized our lawyers. So he actually does a lot of work with our two lawyers. And he didn't want to be too aggressive because he didn't want to jeopardize that relationship. Expert witnesses get paid to do testimony. So he was already a little bit nervous there. Then he recognized Brian. So Brian is our service line director um, at Kettering. 
and he was negotiating with his hospital about having a bigger relationship for heart failure transplant. That also represents a whole bunch of money to their institution. So he goes, eh, I don't want to really just bury these guys or be too, too mean or make them look too bad. So when our lawyers asked him questions, he would take a long time, think about the answer, and then give the answer. And basically, all those answers supported what we, what we did. Our lawyers would refer back to him a lot and say, remember the expert witness for the prosecution? And he agreed with us, and he said. And so basically, God had turned, you know, basically one of their expert witnesses into one of our extra witnesses. It, it was awesome to see that. Okay. And this is kind of cool, just to kind of look through, kind of spiritual strength versus worldly strength here. And for time, I'm just going to hit the last one. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. All right. It's not about overt strength on this world. It's about God's strength. The more we rely on that instead of ourselves, we do a lot better here. All right. Now, our, our lawyers weren't really intimidating at all. I, mean, I showed a picture of them. But Jerry, who we called Matlock, he basically took apart three of the witnesses and looked like a little old nice grandpa doing it. I mean, it was just amazing to watch this guy go to work. Totally masterful. They, we had a, they had a cardiothoracic, an open-heart surgery expert witness, and Jerry had this guy shaking visibly in the first 14 words. I mean, it was unbelievable. I go, that guy's a surgeon. He should be confident. But the guy was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was, you can see his hands shaking. And Jerry had two sentences. It was just, it was unbelievable to see that. Also, he made their interventional cardiology witness look like a hired gun just for money, which he was, but he easily pointed that out and didn't make it look like he was being mean to him. Finally, the pathologist on their case said he did not have, the patient did not have a perioperative heart attack, which is the whole reason the prosecution said he died. Brian and I underestimated his risk in heart disease. He had a heart attack and then he died. The pathologist said, no, he did not have a heart attack. So it's just amazing um, how good our lawyers were. And so God can turn a potential strength into weakness here. Wow, I've got to hurry up here. Okay. All right. God's way versus the world's way. Let me just read this real quick. Who, being the very nature of God, did not consider equality of God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Being made into human likeness and being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself to become a being to death, even the cross. This is obviously talking about Christ, but this is, a, this is a roadmap, a model for us here. All right, so now after about four days, the prosecutor did four days of the case, then came the weekend, then came us. And after about four days, I feel sure the jury could not wait to vote me guilty and get done with this thing. All right, now back to the timing of the case here. Um, the reason we delayed twice was to get Dr. Kim Eagle to be in our case. Dr. Eagle is the world's expert on perioperative evaluation. He steers the writing committee that puts together the guidelines. When doctors do things, what we call standard of care, it's based on all the data put together in a big document, typically called the guideline. He's the person in charge of writing the guidelines for perioperative evaluation. All right. And then luckily, due to delays, we got him to be on our case here. The, the idea of getting his ridiculously busy schedule, our two schedules, and the judge to all agree to this would take an act of God. And it did. God acted for us. All right. 
Now, Kim Eagle's schedule was worse than you can imagine. He was going to the National American Heart Association meeting, fly to Dayton, and then fly home on the same day. So it was just kind of crazy for him. Now, another reason that the two delays worked for us is that very weekend, in between the prosecution's case and our defense, the ischemia trial was released at the American Heart Association meeting. Most people won't know this, but has anyone heard of the ischemia trial? So this is a huge trial that looked at should you do stents or bypass surgery in people with known blocked arteries, and does it make them live longer? Most people will be surprised, but it does not. All right? And we kind of knew that from a bunch of other studies before, but there's so much angst about it, they designed this trial to prove it finally. And this study got released right in the middle of our case. So let me do the timeline. Prosecution lays out the case of four days, rakes us over the coals, there's the weekend, the ischemia trial gets released, and then we're going to start our defense. Okay, I know this is like a virtual meeting, but I'm not feeling you guys here. You, you have to understand what ridiculous timing that is. You cannot plan that for maximum effect. All right, it cannot happen. You, have you ever watched a terrible TV show like Gilligan's, Gilligan's Island? And you, there's all these stupid coincidences, and then they survive at the end. And you're like, that is so unbelievable. I'm never going to watch that garbage again. This is that same level. You could not have said, hey, you know, if we plan this trial and get two delays and uh, we're going to get the ischemia trial to break, it's impossible. All right. Now, this is something that is going to be even more incredible. Okay, this is the presentation. Now, this is important. Ischemia trial was released November 16th, 2020. All right. Yeah, 20, yeah, 20 I'm sorry. 2019. Our defense is going to start on 11-18-2019. I went, to, I went to clinicaltrials.gov to go, when was this trial started? It was started 11-15-2011. God had been working for us. God was on the case almost to the day eight years before our trial. All right, so all I can say is we serve an awesome God. You cannot, you cannot plan this. You can't make this kind of stuff up. It's, it's, really, it's, it's really empowering for me. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. Do you guys feel lucky or do you feel blessed? blessed. I feel blessed. If you look at my wife, you'll know that I'm totally blessed. Right. There's another joke, Joyce, I'm going to drop off because you're not going to like it. The other thing is, do you believe in serendipity or do you believe in a God thing? There are so many God things in this story and when I start looking back in my whole life and then you really begin to appreciate it here. Now, before this case, <clears throat> this may seem kind of out of place here, but before we went to trial, Brian and I talked and we said, we're not going to lie, we're not going to compromise our integrity, we're not going to fudge what we did, we're just going to do what we think is, you know, we thought, we, did what we thought what we did was right four years ago, and we're going to reflect that in our testimony, because we don't, it's not about winning. Now, everyone remembers the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Okay, now I'm, not, I'm not saying Brian and I are Shadrach, Meshach, or Abednego, um, but this is a great, great illustration. So Nebuchadnezzar says, hey, I'm going to throw you in the furnace if you don't bow down to this big golden statue I made. And they said, God's going to save us. But even if he doesn't, we're still not going to do what you want us to do. That is so important. Um, and that's one of the biggest lessons here. Do not compromise yourself 
what are we striving for here? All right. All right. I'm going to pass this up for time here. Okay. So for those people that haven't um, testified in court, it's horrible. All right. So when you have a really smart, articulate person rake you over the coals for four days straight and make you look bad and call into question everything you did and assault your character, it's not really a fun experience. All right. And, and I'll be honest, there are several times where I was really visibly irritated at the lawyer. I'm, I'm ashamed to say that, but that it, it's really hard to take. It was funny because I went to lunch with Brian after my cross-examination, and I'm usually kind of a happy, upbeat guy, and Brian's like, I have never seen you this down before. And he was right. I, I just feel like I just got destroyed on the stand. Now, Brian did a lot better. He did much better. He's totally calm, never got flustered in the case, and he really turned the mood of the case around. In fact, I went first, Dr. Eagle went, and then Brian went. We could all feel that the course had changed in the course room. So the lawyers go, let's cancel the last two expert witnesses. Let's not screw this case up. So we ended on Brian. So now the case is basically down to me, Dr. Eagle, Brian Schwartz, the ischemia trial, and God. And with God, you know, we're going to, how can you lose with God? Now, real quickly, <clears throat> The world kind of looks for like trappings of strength, arrogance, being the alpha male. Christianity is not like that. But you know what we see? The list of macho people is long and forgotten. The list of people like, say, Martin Luther King, Gandhi, Desmond Doss, that's so rare, so unseen. The impact that person makes is 100 times stronger than the world's toughest person. Um, it's uh, something for us to think about and strive for. Now, we had one gaffe in the case. Um, Dr. Eagle, who did a great job for us, um, actually got confused on the stand and actually thought that the executive who had died was actually a forklift operator. So, I, no, really, when he said this during the, his testimony, the lawyer goes, I think I'm having palpitations. Because <laughs> he was like, that is a huge mistake. So the prosecuting lawyer did not correct him. He just let Dr. Eagle see in the mistake. So on redirect, our lawyer went up there and said, Dr. Eagle, the deceased was not a forklift operator. He was an executive. And Dr. Eagle goes, oh, I'm sorry. Then he turned to the judge and said, judge, may I apologize for that? Can I say I'm sorry? And the judge goes, yes. And so he turned over and looked directly at the wife and said, I'm sorry. He wasn't apologizing to our lawyers who hired him. He wasn't apologizing to Brian or I. He was apologizing to the woman because he made a mistake about this person's character, and that person is incredibly important to his wife. Um, and I'll be honest, I, I don't think that was lost on the jury to understand that. Humility is, is really a sign of strength. Now, a, a side note here, before this case even began, when we first met with the lawyers, Brian and I met separately, which is the standard practice. And they recommended to Brian, you may want to go solo on this case because Han has some serious problems. My wife just started shaking her head. Han has some serious problems in, her docu in his documentation. Um, and you know what? If Brian had went separately, no one would blame him. I brought up that one of the pretrial motions was punitive damages. 
They were only going for punitive damages against Brian, not me. When we talk to the lawyers, they go, if they win, they're probably going to ask for something around $5 million for total damages. You may not know this, but medical malpractice has a limit. That would have exceeded Brian's and my cap on damages, which means anything above our cap is coming out of Brian and Lindy's pocket. So Brian, I mean, legitimately, he has to think not of just himself, his career. He has to think about Lindy. So anyway, it's hard because I'm looking at Brian. But he said, we're either going to rise together or we're going to go down together. The crazy thing is in the world, there's a whole bunch of cliches. Even John 3.16 has been used so much, people say it has no meaning. But there's, there's a verse in Proverbs 18.24 that's used a lot. And it says, there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Amen. So both to Brian and Lindy, Joyce and I, we'll never forget that. Thank you so much. Sorry about that. It's been, it's been about a year since the uh, trial. Every time I think about this, I can't help but get emotional. Okay. <clears throat> now, the other incredible thing, I should throw a joke in here, but I, I can't think of one. <clears throat> <laughs> but the other incredible thing is the picture painted was anesthesia things were wrong. Surgery things were wrong. Everyone thinks we're wrong. And one problem about um, getting convicted is you have to be the proximate cause of death. Since we were not physically in the hospital, it's hard to prove that. So their argument was that they would not do the surgery, no one would have done anything unless we started the ball rolling by saying it's okay to do the surgery. Now, the interesting thing is they were saying the surgeons thought we had bad judgment. The great thing is Brian is that surgeon's cardiologist. Now, the point is, how do we get that information out? All right, we, we can't, because there's something called HIPAA. Brian can't just say willy-nilly, you know, that's not true, he trusts me, I'm his doctor. All right, now, <clears throat> so we, we couldn't really do anything about that, because like we talked before, we didn't want to compromise ourselves or compromise our integrity in doing this. Now, after Brian testified, and really the tide had turned in the case, the prosecuting lawyer got more and more aggressive and then started asking about the surgeon. And then everyone was like, why is he going down this road? There's one reason he went down this road. God was poking him to ask this question. Then he said this question, do you know anything about blank surgeon's current health? I mean, talk about a total gift, man. Huge mistake. Now, the great thing is Brian sat there for a long time and then very slowly goes, I have to be really careful how I answer this because I do not want to violate HIPAA. At that point, the jury knew that that surgeon who everyone was saying doesn't trust these guys, trusts Brian with his own very life. Yes. All right. The other thing that I think is even more important is this is day seven of the trial. Any other day of the trial, Brian or our lawyers could just throw that out there and said, that's wrong. That surgeon trusts Brian. But we didn't. We waited until we were asked on cross-examination. I think that went a long way to demonstrating Brian's integrity to the jury. 
And that went a huge way in having the jury decide who's more believable. The people that are trying to go strictly by the rules, not make themselves look good, not compromise any rules, including HIPAA, or the other side here. All right. <clears throat> now, real quickly, I'm going to get to this, this one quote here. And oh, let me go back here. So in this quote, I can't read the whole thing, but they talk about compromising yourself. Thus, fidelity to God is constantly being sacrificed. We need to hold fast our integrity and the strength of the grace of Christ, and he will fulfill his words to you. All right. That's what we need to do here. All right. So anyway, we closed the case. We actually went to lunch. I'm going to pass this. Sorry. Prayer, prayer is really important. So we went to lunch, and our lawyer got a message saying, come back. We were at lunch for less than 30 minutes. The jury had already made a decision. So we walked back to the courthouse really quickly. And at this point, a, a fast decision, you don't know if it's going to be for you or against you. So it was kind of funny. When I was standing there, I could feel the judge was standing, we're standing, the jury came back, and I could feel my pulse level rising. And then they got the verdict handed to the judge, and the judge is about to read it. I'm pausing for a dramatic effect to make it more stressful. But anyway, the jury found for us eight to eight. In a civil suit, there's only eight jurors. You need six to vote for you to be a valid verdict. They were eight to eight on our side here. So just so, so many people to thank doing this whole thing. There's so many prayer warriors, people praying for us, texting us. It was actually awesome. Um, when I was on the stand, Brian would pay for me. When he was on the stand, I would pray for him. Clearly, my prayers are more effective. Right. I, I would text the wives and say, cross-examination starts now, start praying hard. So we had lots of people praying for us outside the fact. It was really, really awesome. <clears throat> now, just kind of to, to close up real quickly, God doesn't see time as we see it. Remember the 3D puzzle that I showed you? When we get to heaven, we'll be able to look back and go, we went through all these points to get to here, and then we'll understand that. While on earth, sorry, I love this. A lot of times you say, whoa, is me, whoa, is me. When we get to heaven, we're going to be saying, whoa, when we realize all the crazy stuff that God's done for us. I'm going to have to read this quote. It's kind of long. But all that has perplexed us in the provinces of God will in the world become to made plain. The things hard to be understood will then find explanation. The mysteries of grace will unfold before us. Where our infinite minds discovered only confusion and broken promises, we shall see the most perfect and beautiful harmony. We shall know that infinite love ordered the experiences that seemed most trying as we realize the tender care of him who makes all things work together for our good. We shall rejoice with the unspeakable and full glory. Amen. And that's going to be an awesome experience when we get there. So almost done here. So this is us. On the weekend after the trial, we're solving three things. We won the trial, it was Thanksgiving weekend, and it was my 51st birthday. birthday. So all just kind of put together here. Now, all of us are going to go through trials. Unfortunately, Brian and I went through an actual trial. But we're all going to have things happen to us, and I think if we lean on God, that's what we get through here. Finally, um, there is one loose end in the story. This chapter has been closed for Brian, Lindy, Joyce and myself. But there's still the family that lost their loved one and got sued, or that sued us. So I still pray for that family, and I hope that they can have some peace 
and not have to wait until you get to heaven to see their loved one again before they have resolution to this whole ordeal on their side. Now, there's one last thing that I have to give credit for or thanks for. So our lawyers were picked four years ago. The ischemia trial started eight years ago. Over 25 years ago, God put something in Brian and our lives that had a huge impact on everything we do. An incredible gift. And that's our wives. There's no way, Brian and I talked about this a lot, there's no way we would have made it through this without your love, support, and interesting sense of humor. So, just like Esther, you two were placed in our lives for such a time as this. Thank you all. All right. Well, thank you, Harvey. That was a blessing. Appreciate everything you've dragged me into over the years. (laughs) But God is blessed. So, um, just one thing. The text comes to my mind, Daniel um, 7.22, that judgment was made in favor of the saints. It's just an amazing time to have a jury come out. You're standing there with trepidation, and then they slowly hand the verdict to the bailiff, who slowly walks it up to the judge. The judge then opens the envelope, and then the judge, everybody rises and stands there, and you're standing there before the judgment seat, and you hear judgment is made in favor of the saints. That's an amazing opportunity. The other thing that uh, I think that Dr. Han didn't mention, but uh, every morning when we were preparing for trial and every morning when we went to court, we would pray with our attorneys. And they both commented to their wives that they'd never had physicians do that. And particularly, uh, John talked to his wife, and we actually went out with them later, and she mentioned that, boy, John would just talk about the fact that you guys would pray for the family, you'd pray for the wife even while we were being sued. And that really touched our attorneys. They had never seen anything like that. Let's go ahead and close this segment with prayer. Our Father in heaven, we realize looking back as we look at the trials that if we understand the way that you've been leading, that we wouldn't have it any other way. So we just pray that you would strengthen us now for the the things that we are currently facing in our lives, that you would prepare us for the future, and that we can truly stand as witnesses for you. Just uh, pray that you would uh, bless us this Sabbath day, and would you be with each one around the world, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.